Hello and welcome to the She Chooses podcast. I'm Jessica Hartzold. This is a place purpose to help women to harness decision-making power, where we learn to allow God to open our eyes to see the choices before us and to ultimately elevate the one that leads us to obedience to his plan. Hello, everyone. Episode two. Here we are again. If you joined our first episode, thank you. If you're just picking things up today, that is so awesome. Welcome to the She Chooses podcast. Today, we're talking about choices again. You know, what's the big deal about choices? Why is this podcast called She Chooses? Well, I want to tell you a little bit. That's what we're going to talk about today. You know, choice is something that God has really magnified in my life. And we're not going to talk about my testimony specifically today. But, you know, there was a moment in my life where God just really drilled me with a choice that was standing before me, a choice that I had to make. And since that time, he just keeps illuminating the power of free will. And what that means, you know, we are a chosen people. God first chose us. And we have an opportunity every single day to choose him back. So today, I just want to share a little bit about uh, choices and why this podcast is called She Chooses. So statistically speaking, I read a quote that said that there are 35,000 decisions that the average adult makes a day. That seems like a lot, at least it does to me. Even in the midst of decisions, thinking through like, am I going to eat a Pop-Tart for breakfast, drink a fruit smoothie, do I want paper or plastic, am I going to go out, am I going to stay in, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Some of those Choices that we have in front of us are really superficial. Some are heavy, but all, whether they're great or small, they position us choices. The ones that we've made to this point are what have paved the path and led us to the place that we find ourselves standing right here and right now. What has it looked like? And where are you standing in this moment? Maybe you're in a place of triumph, or maybe it's more heavy and you feel like you're stuck in a pit of despair and maybe you have this overwhelmed sadness and it has you thinking, I never imagined I would find myself here. Or maybe you're standing somewhere in in between. Choices are these little and not so little things that we make day in and day out. Often we are totally understanding that we are making them. They're thoughtful. Others not so much. They're more, they're made out of reaction. They're compulsive. We make them nonchalant, haphazardly. Maybe we're not considering them at all. Accept it or not, and no matter the case, they are happening. And they're making these monumental and not so monumental impacts that are altering the path ahead of us. And sometimes 
that will shift our entire paradigm. Within each choice lies a decision to make, right? A moment where we're presented this opportunity to choose. At times that choice, it involves a lure of the enemy himself. You know, it's this masked temptation, sitting in wait, hoping, desiring ever so expectantly to persuade us down a path that leads away from God. But take heart, God, he gives us this promise in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 tells us, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. God, in his immense love for his people, gave us advance warning, letting us know, hey, temptation is going to come, but that temptation is not too big for us. He promised he's going to show us a way out. That's a promise of our great God. It shows he's faithful and he's good. So when we fall prey to these temptations, it isn't due to the lack of God's faithfulness or his control. The problem is all on us due to the thoughtless state of busy we often allow ourselves to be stuck in, which tends to flip our mind into checklist mode. Checklist mode is deceptive. It's this deceptive state of existence. When you're living in it, you think you're being super productive because let's face it, Who doesn't feel accomplished when your sticky note has nothing but checks? You may even be prideful considering all the to-dos you've marked off, you know, slapping it on your chest as this badge of honor. But the thing about checklist mode is it zeroes you in on productivity. And life becomes more production-focused and the quantity of boxes checked off rather than quality of time invested. I liken it to a conveyor belt. You know, you're simply going through the motions, getting things done quickly just to move on to the next activity. So when we operate under this mindset, we lack awareness to anyone and anything around us. We become numb and distracted and completely unaware of the lures of temptation that we've encountered. You know, maybe we've encountered them, we've bulldozed through them, maybe we've even bit into them, and there might even be a lure hanging out of your mouth right now. The one that Lucifer himself is going to use to reel you in, and you're not even realizing it. You could possibly be doubting what I'm saying right now, but I want you to think for a minute. Have you ever driven home from the, maybe you're driven home from work or church or an appointment, and you stepped into your house and caught yourself wondering, how on earth did I get here? I have, and it's absolutely terrifying to realize you were so swept away in your thoughts that you don't even remember the drive. Or what about this? You're on the phone and your kid is talking to you. You think you're doing well to respond until you say, you hear them say, mom, get off your phone. I don't know how many times I've said yes or "Uh uh-huh, and I don't even realize what I'm going along with. That, my friend, is checklist mode. We're going through the motions. We're not engaged, just checking away to get to the next thing. What choices were made in those moments where we were in that mindset. You know, God, his desire for authentic love has given us the gift of free will, allowing us the ability to choose. We determine, will we live a life in pursuit of him or ourselves? Without the choice, there's no opportunity to activate the free will we've been given and no chance for authenticity. 
if we don't have a chance to exercise that free will, we're like robots. And what kind of love could a robot give? It's not the kind that flows from the heart. That kind of love, if you know this kind, you understand there is nothing like it. The exercising of our free will, however, that, my sister, is some tough stuff. Why? Because we start out living in this separated state from God. Remember, there was a spiritual death that that took place in the garden. So where God's plan to dwell in communion with his creation once stood, it's now been replaced with this solid wall of separation that we've got to dig through in order to overcome. So where God originally intended to rule over our spirit and our spirit then to govern over our soul and body, now our soul rules and we've got to allow God to lead us back to that original plan of closeness and reconciliation with him. And God, in all his unfailing love for us, he doesn't desire to stay in that separated place. In his all-knowing, all-seeing, all-understanding nature, he acknowledges our struggle. And he shows us this truth right out of the gates in Genesis chapter 3, where we find Eve exercising her own will by making a choice. So what, what choice did Eve make? Adam, he told Eve God's instruction. She knew what she had been taught, and she faced a situation, a monumental situation that presented her with two choices, obedience to God's will or obedience to self, which, in all honesty, was a choice between spiritual things of God or submission to an earthly vision in front of her. She saw with her eyes something that captivated her attention, But rather than grabbing that thought and surrendering it directly to God, she allowed it to linger. Lingering thoughts are dangerous thoughts. It is no coincidence that the place where Jesus was crucified, Golgotha, means the place of the skull. It's in the mind where our will to surrender happens. That seemingly innocent linger that she allowed was everything but innocent as it it gave way to this yearning in her body. You know, no longer wanting just to look at the fruit, she then desired to taste that fruit, which consequentially, that lusting in her flesh opened up a path in her mind, which in turn opened an opportunity for a choice, a place for her to demonstrate her own gift of free will. What was Eve's choice? We all know Eve's choice, right? Because she chose not to exercise self-control, she ate that fruit, and she didn't stop there. Rather, she handed it to her husband and said, this is what's for dinner. Eat up. Okay, wait. That's my imagination getting the best of me. But truth of it all, she ate that fruit, then gave it to Adam, and he chose just the same to give in and take that bite. So as a result, we're now born into this fallen state. We no longer get to walk with God in the garden initially. We've been cast out from the paradise that was intended for us. After all, it promises ease, numbness to pain, and quick answers. All fruit, which in moments like these become mouth-wateringly enticing. Honestly, depending on the situation we're in, these thoughts and this temptation feels welcomed. We want to believe there's an easy way. We love instant gratification, and we yearn for answers and deliverance. The problem, however is that no matter how it might feel to give these thoughts permission to settle, they remove our ability to see beyond, and it results in bondage, not deliverance. 
That bondage then sends us into a tailspin of sadness, depression, anxiety, hopelessness, poor decision-making, limited existence. And suddenly, we realize we've eaten the same fruit that Eve did. And we're in the exact same place of separation from our Father. That, my sister, is not God's desire. No, His will is to free us by granting us awareness to see very clearly the choices we're making, and granting us an opportunity to activate the power of free will. When this happens, our eyes are opened and the choices in front of us become tools. These tools are transformed into chisels with the ability to tear down the walls that try to raise themselves or those that are already standing obstructing our view of him. If we choose. What the enemy wanted for Eve, he desires for you. The enemy wanted Eve to believe that there was a better way than God's. He wanted to present her something that appeared as a clearer, instantaneous path to freedom, which is exactly what he does for us. Right now in your mind, you're probably seeing something he's presented to you. His strategy is to present us with an earthly vision that makes sense in our finite mind. If allowed to linger, That uncrucified thought leads us to question God's ability, his plan, his sovereignty, and his goodness. It opens us up to compromise what we know to be true and will undoubtedly produce the same result as Eve's, separation from him. The problem with Eve is that she saw with her eyes, yearned in her flesh, and allowed pride to make her decision. Many of us are sitting in that same place. We too have seen with our eyes, we've yearned with our flesh, and allowed pride to willingly walk us straight into a prison cell of limited existence. But God, in all of his goodness and his desire to be with us, he doesn't leave us there with only an example of a woman that made a poor choice. He gives us another, a woman who made a good choice. And just as Eve's transcended time, so has hers. So who is this other woman? It's Mary of Bethany. So what, what choice did this Mary make? Mary's, unlike Eve's, was grounded in spiritual truth. It was not in the pursuit of this world. Her choice led her to defy her cultural expectation, bow when her heart was broken, and present him an offering of what was precious to her. And it was all done by getting herself to his feet. Mary's choice wasn't easy. When we read about her defying her cultural role, we also read that it creates frustration in her sister, Martha. We know this story, Mary and Martha. So Martha, she's frustrated, so much so that she tells Jesus to do something about it. But Jesus' response is no. Mary made a good choice, and it would not be taken from her. Mary brought her heartache over her brother's death to Jesus. She fell at his feet. We find in this account that Jesus, he's so moved deeply in his spirit. He's troubled. He's moved to the point of tears where we read Jesus wept because Jesus cares about what we care about. Mary anointed his feet and we learn that it burned annoyance within Judas. And when he stood to chastise her for what in his opinion was wasteful, 
Jesus stepped in as defender saying, in my words, leave her alone. (laughs) Jesus, God Almighty, King of Kings, defended Mary for the choice she had made to bring what was precious to her as an act of worship. Mary's choices were not easy. No way. Yet, no matter how difficult it was for her to get her flesh to his feet, she chose to press toward him. And he stepped in each and every time to defend and comfort her. So, the difference between Eve and Mary. Eve set her eyes on worldly things. Mary set her eyes on the heavenly. Eve did what she felt. Mary did what she knew. I'm certain that there are women listening to this now that you've made your share of Eve decisions. And you're wondering if there's a way out of this pit of separation that you're finding yourself in. And my answer to you is undeniably yes. God's desire after Eve took from that fruit was redemption. We find that by going back to the garden, what is often viewed as a harshness of God where we find they're cast out of the garden, it wasn't done out of meanness. It's an act of love and protection, removing their ability to eat from the tree of life and eliminating any chance that they might forever exist in that fallen state. That, my sweet sister, is nothing but love. An act of love that's so powerful and was used to set into motion his plan for redemption, our redemption, a redemption that is very much alive and radiating throughout history. It's purposed for you, serving as a hand that's reaching for you to pull you beyond the state of limited existence into the fullness of his plan for you. The life of Mary shows us that we're not alone in our thought that getting to the feet of Jesus is a hard thing. She shows us that people will speak out in criticism. Our actions won't be popular, nor is it going to make sense to some. Her life also reveals to us that none of these things serve as an excuse to stay in that place of separation. So you want out, right? Getting out of that pit of separation is going to require some things of you. It's also going to require you to muster the same courage that Mary did by putting forth the same amount of effort, self-denial, and getting ourselves in a posture of submission where we are bowed to our Savior. You will undoubtedly have to look your adversary in the face, and no matter what he throws at you, you will have to move in a direct defiance of his voice and the earthly vision that he presents. Your defiance is going to be done in the deliberate choice that you make to press your way to Jesus's feet. At his feet, you find him just as Mary did. We experience him as defender, as healer, as comforter, as savior. Mary, she demonstrates perfectly the power of an activated will. Nothing she did makes sense to our humanity. We think, how can bowing, releasing control of our situation, and submitting to another lead us to what she found? It seems a little nonsensical, but isn't that what we find a lot in what God's word says? His ways are higher than ours. In these moments where we battle our humanity, we've got to take ourselves back to the truth. Faith is believing in what is unseen and evidence of what is hoped for. We've also got to get 
ourselves back to the fact that obedience to what God has said is the greatest thing we will ever do. Obedience, no matter what our flesh says, and no matter what the enemy twists to look like an answer, is the one thing that will lead us to the fullness of God. This Shakespearean phrase, all that glitters is not gold, is so poetically true. I imagine that fruit glistened in the sun before Eve. Certainly, it must have shined as the sun's rays began to dance on its skin. It appeared as light. And that is precisely what our enemy does. He dresses up like light, but he is not light. Jesus is the light. Darkness cannot stay in the midst of the light. It has no option but to flee from his presence. And we see a beautiful picture of that. Every time in the dark of the night, we flip on a light. It's so beautiful, this reminder of God's power over darkness. We don't have to live in this fallen and separated state a moment longer. I can't help but believe that all the work it must have taken Mary in mustering the courage to get herself to his feet was worth every bit of self-denial it required. You see, Eve made a choice and the presence of God was removed from her. Mary made a choice and the presence of God was promised not to be removed from her. We, we were made to do hard things. And we've got to muster up the courage just like Mary did to do our part and activating the free will of God by choosing to get to his feet. Redemption is waiting there. It's available to us. It's this redemption that Mary had revelation to, and it's a redemption that we have a choice to receive. If you found yourself in the same place as Eve, I encourage you to consider for a moment that you don't have to stay in that place. Maybe poor choices have led you to that place of separation from God. You don't have to stay there. Yes, we are going to have these moments of decision and temptation, but God is going to give us a path out. And that path is grounded in truth, love, mercy, and grace. But the appearance of this path doesn't look as you assume or the way our culture conditions us to think. And it requires us to take a moment to see it. To see it, we have to slow down and get out of checklist mode. The path of the enemy is instantly wonderful. The path of our Savior often lacks visual splendor initially. The one paved by the enemy looks beautiful, easy, smooth, freshly paved. There's not a bump in sight. On it, you're going to see the joys of life. People standing around, they're laughing, they're in groups, they're talking. You're going to see social events. You'll smell delicious delicacies that are just waiting for you to feast on. On this path, you see all things that invigorate our senses. Sights, sounds, tastes, smells, touch. And at the end of that path, you see what you think is happiness. You see yourself there with a happy family, a handsome husband, kids frolicking around the yard. All good things anyone would, would, would desire. And it's with these things that Satan can attempt to lure us in. You know, then you, you look to the other path. The other one that has emerged the one that God promised us he would provide. And this one, paved by our Heavenly Father, it appears different. You know, there are not crowds of people standing around socializing. 
It's not visually beautiful, and the see, sound, taste, smell, touch, draw, that is just not there. And actually, this path looks like it's a little bumpy. And there's a hill on it, and it makes you a little bit queasy because there is some unknown things on the other side of that. You don't see where that road is leading, but understanding the infallible word of God and knowing a bit about his promise, you know that somewhere on that path lies hope and future that only the Lord promises us in Jeremiah 29, chapter 11. But you don't see exactly what that hope and future looks like. Your only option is trust, to trust that God knows what will ultimately make you complete. The thing that will, because that's what he's created to make you complete. That, my dear, that promise of hope and future, that's the good part. Mary chose what looked uncertain to her, but she knew there was a promise of eternity with that choice. That's the choice we're making today, and that's the choice we're making every day. The good choice. The one where if you're business-minded, it tells you there's an ROI a return on investment that's worth every bit of effort because this, my love, offers something this world can never promise. It offers a promise from God himself saying when we choose him, that choice. Friends, it is really encouraging to me to hear your feedback. If today's episode is helpful, let me know. Tell me about it. Share it. Grab a screenshot of the episode, post it to your Instagram and tag at JD Hartsey or leave an Apple podcast review. When you do, you help elevate She Chooses and the search results of others, making it easier for others to find and join in on the fun. You just listened to an episode of the She Chooses podcast. I pray you were encouraged by the message you heard today. And I pray that the choice before you, the one that leads to Jesus, is shining bright in front of you. Until next time, let's be intentional. Let's be focused. Let's be diligent. And let's be the she's that choose Jesus.